Well, good morning to all of our campuses, including our broadcast location. Uh, you are in the beginning of a major series that we launched today. Uh, simultaneously, not only am I speaking to all of our locations, uh, but I want to pause right now and just say a big thank you to this church. Um, you guys, uh, you loan me out. You, you allow uh, the flexibility for not only me to be able to pastor this church and lead this church through the incredible staff and dream team, but also we have a heart that is way beyond Timber Creek Church. We want to be blessing as many churches as possible. And there are eight churches right now that uh, Timber Creek Church and myself, we are uh, consulting and mentoring into next steps. It just so happens that this weekend I'm in San Antonio simultaneously here virtually uh, being able to celebrate a succession plan. Uh, one of my pastor friends is getting the baton passed to him from the founding pastor, a big church of 5,000 people there. And it's an honor for me to be able to not only start this series today, but also be there with them and celebrate the big kingdom of God uh, at work. So I just want to say thank you for uh, trusting your pastor and letting your pastor be uh, in and out every once in a while to help other churches. Um, what's the most important letter you've ever received? I want you to think about that for a second. The most important letter you've ever received. For me, it was a few weeks ago, I received an email from a king in Zimbabwe the king told me that he was trying to get to America. He had millions of dollars. All he needed was a little bit of help. And so, I mean, I just want you to know uh, I'm all in. Okay, I'm all in. Like, this is cool stuff. I'm just waiting for him to, I sent him my social security number and my credit card. There's just a couple things right there. No, no, no. If you've taken that scam, we want to pray for you after service uh, today. Now, what's the most important letter? Maybe it was the admission letter to the university you had been applying for. Uh, maybe back in the day, uh, for some of our older saints, it was a letter that said you were drafted into the military. Um, maybe it was a love letter, uh, like, the, like the love letter I sent to Lacey Wilkerson at Wheat State Camp in Wichita, Kansas when I was 13 years old, and I wrote so eloquently, I like you, do you like me, will you go out with me? Yes, no, maybe so. And she wrote back, or she didn't write back, she checked the box, no. No, she would, it was not even maybe so. It was just a big old flat no. Uh, you know, the very first email ever written, very first email sent by the creator of email, uh, let's not curse his name because I know email is a, it has been a blessing and now it's just like a big old curse. Uh, Raymond Tomlinson, the very first email sent through the interwebs was simply the word QWERTY. Uh, K-W-E-R-T-Y, and then I-O-P, just the top line of the keyboard, that's it. Um, but back when email was just getting started, uh, I heard this story, wanted to share it with you, that there was a businessman from North Dakota, he was on a business trip, uh, this was early, uh, like mid-80s, 
and, and he was on a business trip from North Dakota all the way down to the border between Texas and Mexico. And uh, he was going to have a little business trip there. When he got to the hotel, there is no cell phones. We're still rotary phone. There were computers in every room. Now, they had just started email and had like a home computer there at their own house because he was a successful businessman and that was kind of a commodity at the time. And he thought it would kind of be creative if in the hotel room he sat down at the computer and instead of calling his wife and saying, honey, I made it uh, to the border, you know, everything is good, uh, that he would just send her a quick email, you know, and get used to, to doing that. So he sat down and he sent the email and pushed send and there it, there it went. Now I'll tell you that this is in the middle of July, way south Texas, so it is, it is like crazy hot weather. He sends it over to her. She's in North Dakota, and he sends it. Now, here's the problem. When the guy sent the email, he accidentally misspelled his wife's email address, and it sent his email to a completely random stranger. Now, what's even crazier is the random stranger who received this email was a woman, was actually just recently widowed, and it was a day after her husband's funeral. She went to sit down in the, the little family room where the computer was, and it went, ding, you've got mail. So the guy who was sent it to his wife sent it to the actual fresh widow, and here's what his email said. My loving wife, I know you are surprised to hear from me. It goes on to say, they're, they have computers here, and we are allowed to send emails to loved ones. But then the tables turn a little bit because the next line, he says, it is so hot here, it's unbearable. He finishes by saying, but good news, I have made necessary arrangements for your arrival tomorrow. I can't wait to see you with love, your husband. That was a very crazy letter she received. What we're about to embark on is a series of not just messages, but really an unpacking, an unfolding, a digesting, an applying of what I really believe to be one of the greatest letters ever written. Not that it is more important than any other part of the 66 books of the Bible, but the impact that this letter has had on the entire understanding of salvation and grace and faith and justification and righteousness, it has been the diving board, the catalyst, the constitution for a Christian, this letter that the Apostle Paul writes the culture, the saints, the Christians in the very pagan city of Rome. And so through this whole series, today is kind of our launch pad, and uh, I've entitled this message opening title sequence, like before you get into the movie, uh, before you get into the James Bond movie, and they have this long title sequence of that recognizes and introduces the characters. I kind of consider this, this sermon kind of the opening title sequence. 
And what we're going to do over the next couple of weeks is we are going to answer the question, who is this letter to? Well, we know it's to the Romans, to the saints in Rome, but what does that even mean for us? We're going to understand when it was written. We're going to understand why it was written. We're going to understand the main message behind it all. Uh, and, and also, before we even get to all that, today we're really going to talk about who, who wrote it. And so to jump into this series on the book of Romans, if you have your Bible, turn with me. And you know what? Bring a pen, bring a Bible. We provide pens at all of our locations and fill in the blanks. But I want you to get into the habit of this year, of this, especially this series, bringing your Bible to church. I will, I will help substitute that, supplement that with scripture on the screen. But I think it's valuable for you to have your Bible and open it up and, and, and read. So Romans chapter one, verse one, and believe it or not, this is why we're going to spend some time in it. That's the, that's as far as we're going to go in the book of Romans today. Romans chapter one, verse one. And here's, here's the opening. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus called to be an apostle and set apart for the gospel of God. So we know Paul we know his opinion of himself, a servant. We know who he's a servant to. We know that he is dedicating his life and calling and energy set apart for what we're going to find is the most important message for all of us, and that is the gospel, the gospel of God, the good news of God. We'll unpack more of the gospel next week. But this whole idea of Paul, a servant of Christ, let me just say it right now. He wasn't always like that. <laughs> like, if you were going to describe Paul back in the day, just know that's not how you were going to describe him. How did he get to the point where he himself could describe himself as a servant of Christ set apart for the message of the gospel? Well, jump in with your notes. We're going to talk about the author. The author today who writes. Now, we in America have this habit of ending our letters with sincerely this person. Um, but you can see that in um, ancient times, uh, the whole rhythm was they would introduce themselves because who you're receiving the letter from was critically important to digesting the information in which uh, in what the letter contained. By the way, I always try to read my letters that I get uh, from the bottom up. I always start at the bottom to see who it's from. If I ever get an anonymous email, if I ever get an anonymous letter, I want you to know, I don't read it. <laughs> I don't, I don't read it. I put it back in and I send it to Santa Claus. I do. B because it's important to know who's sending you the information. It makes a difference. And Paul launches in saying, hey, I'm an apostle. I'm a servant of Christ. But he wasn't always Paul. In, in fact, he was Saul that also was Paul. Some people think that Saul later changed his name to Paul. That's not true. Uh, he didn't change his name. He actually had both names, Saul and Paul. And I'm going to explain why. You can take some of the notes. First of all, by race and religion, he was of Jewish race and Jewish faith. His uh, mother was Jewish. And Saul was his given name. And can you think of anybody in the Bible that's famous that's named Saul? Well, sure enough, yeah. The very first king of Israel, King Saul, a Benjamite. 
Saul was actually born in Tarsus. And uh, Saul, the guy we're talking about today, was born in Tarsus, and he was a Benjamite. So he was from the same clan, the same tribe as King Saul hundreds of years earlier. So he is named after the first king of Israel. But also he's given the name Paul because um, Pauline and, and, and uh, Apollo, Apollo, pardon me, were very important Roman leaders. As a matter of fact, um, Paul was a Roman general who was huge in the expanse of Rome. So not only does Paul have a, a, a mom who is Jewish, he has a dad who is Roman. And so he got both of these names to represent the culture that he was living in. Saul from the Jewish faith and then Paul from this Roman heritage. So by race and religion, he's Jewish. He is believing in the one true God, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Uh, they had been waiting for the Messiah. Now Saul, who is also Paul, he is going to receive Christ eventually. But by culture, he was Greek. In the area that he grew up, he was in the best school system around the best universities taught by the best Greek philosophers. Where he grew up, the vicinity... There, it was the equivalent of growing up in Athens. It was um, the epicenter of education. It would be like growing up next to next to, to Columbia University, uh, right next to uh, Texas A and M or U University of Texas. Or, well, I don't know whichever one's your favorite that you think is smart and whatnot. That's where he grew up in, and by culture he was Greek, so he understood um, uh, he understood not only culture but he could actually speak different language, which got him in the door of a lot of different places. By political affiliation, he was a Roman citizen. So it was one thing to be born in Greek, to be born in Rome, to have a dad who was Roman, a mom who was Jewish, but it would be like back in the day in the Soviet Union where if you were born in the Soviet Union or in Russia, you had to be born into the Communist Party. It's not just you were there and you chose. You had to be kind of born into it. He was born into Roman citizenship. And a little later, you will see in this whole story how that gives him access. It gives him a passport into communicating the message of Jesus in places he never would have had access to, but because of where he was, what he was born into. Some of you have access into some things because you were born into some things. And maybe you got out of those things, but it still gives you access to speak into those things with other people that were born into those things. It's amazing how God can order the steps of our life, even the stuff that doesn't make sense at the time. Because here's what's crazy. As Saul is growing up, by reputation, it wasn't like, oh, Saul, a servant of Jesus Christ. No, 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 no. By reputation, he was a terrorist. He was, a, he was a, a terrorist against Christians. They were, they were challenging the Jewish faith and the Jewish way of living. These people called saints of the way. The word Christianity didn't even exist until a few hundred years later. And so these disciples of Jesus were like followers of the way. And Saul, who grew up as not only like a Jew, but kind of like a like an ultimate Jew, he was, he was one of the, 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 the strongest of the Pharisees, like he was the legalistic of the legalistic of the legalism crew. He, he knew the 
by the Torah front and back. He knew exactly the faith and what to do and followed the law. He had every single medal that you could get. He had every single uh, doctorate and master's degree. And because of that, and because of the attack of Christianity on the normal way of their, them thinking, he actually spent a lot of his early life um, persecuting Christians. We read about in the books, book of Acts that Stephen, the first martyr, who is the first person killed for their faith, that as they stoned Stephen to death in order to get a good grip and a good swing with that stone, they took their jackets off and they handed it to a guy standing there watching. The guy standing there watching is Saul. Now, how do you get from, how do you get from that to Paul, a servant of God? Let me give you some thoughts so you can apply right to you right now. First, God often chooses the least likely. <laughs> he has a way of using people that think there is no way that God would use me in this way. He has a way of using people that think there is no way that God would use me in this way. Just having lunch with somebody the other day, great conversation, uh, and, and, and they were saying, God's kind of put something on my heart to step out, and, but, but I know I've got, I've got a lot to do, and I've got a lot to get better, and I, I need to work on some stuff, and, and, and I said, hey, God's going to use you in this journey you're in right now. The, the journey is, is part of the process. As a matter of fact, write it down. My journey is not about where I've been or where I'm going, but who I'm becoming along the way. It wasn't his past that disqualified him or qualified him. It wasn't where he was in this moment that disqualified or qualified him. It's the fact that on his journey, Jesus met him. On his, on his way to kill more Christians, Jesus met him on the road to Damascus. He said, why do you persecute me, Saul? Pause. Can I tell you that Jesus takes you personal? Saul was persecuting people that were Christians, and Jesus doesn't say, why are you persecuting my people? He said, why are you, why are you persecuting me? Why are you, an attack on my son is an attack on my family. An, an, attack on, an attack on a child of God is an attack on God. Jesus says, I've got a different plan for you. And Saul's life radically changes on that road. I'm so thankful for the roads that I've been on that have been the wrong way, that God has met me in spite of myself to redirect me and not, not even just um, immediately become who God's called me to be, but I am becoming who God's called me to be along the way. And after that encounter with Jesus on the road to Damascus, we will see Saul using his pedigree and, and his his. Uh, open doors, his Roman citizenship, his, his uh, uh, Greek understanding, that he will then go on three missionary journeys. He will multiply leaders. He will multiply locations, 10 plus churches that he will launch. And out of our New Testament, he will write 13 of the 27 books of that New Testament that you hold in your hand. And yet through all of this, what's amazing about Paul is he doesn't throw that in your face he says, hey, I'm a servant here. I'm a servant of Christ. How do you do that? What does, it look, what does it look like to have such excellence and such history and such education and such intellect and such wisdom and such authority to still see yourself as just 
someone in the hand of God, a servant to the king. I want that for you. I want that for me. I want that for my kids. You know, you might be in one of our rooms and you think to yourself, I would like to be used by God, but I've got to get this in a row first. I got to stop doing this. I got to fix this. I mean, this has just been the week of confirmation on this because I, I received another text of somebody saying, man, I disqualified myself from some things and, and I, I don't really have a voice to speak into this, but if there's ever, uh, like, no, no, no. God cares about the journey you're on. But he cares about who you're becoming more than where you've been or where you're, or where you're going. And so what I wanna offer is how does Paul leave such a legacy for us? In fact, if you're taking notes, um, I'm going to give you a checklist to ask yourself. I'm going to give you four questions to ask yourself on a checklist for leaving a legacy. But pause, hold up, rewind it. I'm not talking about leaving a legacy, all right? Better, living a legacy. How can you take a checklist, an inventory of your life right now, and determine, am I currently living the kind of legacy, because here's the deal, everybody leaves a legacy. Everybody leaves a legacy, whether they like it or not. It's what kind of legacy are you gonna live right now? So four questions, let's start with this one. When it comes to Paul's life and it comes to our life, am I living a life that is faithful along the way? It's one thing to make a step of faith to, to be, to be uh, uh, saved by faith in Christ through, 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 by grace, through faith. It's one thing to take a step of faith. It's another thing to take continual steps of faith. Am I being faithful along the way? We see Saul have a radical transformation. He encounters Jesus in a real way. It's way beyond his arguments. It's way beyond his pedigree. Just an encounter with Jesus changes everything, and he... He exhibits faithfulness along the way, regardless of the circumstances. It's one thing to be faithful when everything's good and God is good all the time and all the time God is good, but when tragedy strikes, when people that you come in contact with are unchangeable and circumstances are unavoidable, when valleys of the shadow of death are right in front of you, can you be faithful along the way? Do that checklist in your heart. Check out what Paul writes in Corinthians. He says, five times, this, look at his faithfulness. Five times I received from the Jews 40 lashes minus one. Five times, 39 lashes. Dude was scarred up. Three times I was beaten with rods. <laughs> Sounds like me as a kid in my home. Anyway, once I was pelted with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked. Check this out. Three times I was shipwrecked. Now look, I spent a night and a day in the open sea. Not on the open sea. In the open sea. I've been constantly on the move. I've been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my fellow Jews, in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea. He just got like a dangerous life, everybody. And in danger from false believers. I have labored and toiled and have often gone without sleep. And he don't stop there. I have known hunger and thirst and have often gone without Food. I have been cold and naked. Besides everything else, 
I face daily the pressure of my concern for all the churches. Understand that that's just like everyday life, let alone the burden, the vision God had placed on his heart to be planting churches and care about the people in the church. How many of you understand that like you can have stuff going on at home and you've got to deal with work and you've got to deal with life and you got to deal with the vision that God's put in your heart. Like Paul has gone through this and he knows. And so if you've ever felt like, oh, when is this ever going to let up? You're in good company. The guy who wrote 13 of the 27 books of the New Testament can like relate to you. Furthermore, check this out. Who is weak? I don't feel weak. I don't know if I can make it, Pastor Jeremy. I just feel so weak. Hey, you're not alone. I'm just so busy. Stop saying that, everybody. Stop saying it. Stop saying it. Your choice. We have to just understand everybody's got 168 hours in the week. I'm just so busy. And we're not busy, and they're not busy, and you're not busy. Especially you teenagers. Oh, I'm just so busy. Just like, well, life is just so crazy. Okay, chill, teen. You know what else he says? Look at this. This gives me, this gives me a lot of encouragement. Who is led into sin? And I do not inwardly burn. The author of half the New Testament, who's, who will write to us, the wages of sin is death gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. He's going to give us so much wisdom through the power of the Holy Spirit, but he's also saying us, you struggle with sin? You, you, you think I don't inwardly burn? You don't think I have some desires? You don't think I have some thoughts that, that need to be t- taken captive? And this is what Paul is going through. He is faithful along the way. Now we fast forward a couple of more years and we see Paul in another situation, faithful along the way. Look at it. They stone Paul. <laughs> Just like, like if that wasn't enough, this is later. They stoned Paul, dragged him outside the city, thinking he was dead. But after the disciples had gathered around him, he got up. Now, if this was my biography, it would be after they stoned Jeremy and took him outside the city and left him for dead, Jeremy died. That, that's how my biography, he died, the end. You can send flowers and memorial money to whatever and whatever foundation. Like that would be it. But here's what happens. They get around him. Paul gets up. I think it's a supernatural healing, to be honest with you. And what, look what he does. Look what he does. He got up and he went back into the city. <laughs> I mean, the same city that dragged him out of the city because they didn't want to hear what he had to say. But Paul, servant of Christ, who's going to be faithful along the way. You don't ignore a letter from this guy. You, you don't ignore what the Holy Spirit is doing in a guy like that and what the Holy Spirit is doing in a guy like you and a girl like you and a teenager like you and someone who's going through that divorce and someone who's going through that widowed, that moment of loss and someone who's got that addiction publicly and that person who's got that secret addiction, no matter where you are or where you've been or where you're going, God meets you on your road because he wants to see you become who he has intended for you to become along the way. Paul is faithful over security and some of us, our faithfulness stops when our security is challenged. 
He's faithful over comfort, and many of us are faithfulness in the goodness of God is pushed pause or on the back burner when we lose our comfort zone. He is faithful despite opposition, and when the going gets tough, we tend to lose faithfulness. So again, let's checklist it. Am I living a life that's faithful along the way? Would you give yourself a green light, a yellow light, or a red light? So if that's, if that's how you're measuring that, you just maybe put a G, a Y, or an R next to that question. And then when you have some yellows on there, or maybe some reds at the end of this service, we're going to pray over those. We're going to pray for next steps divinely inspired by the Holy Spirit. Number two, here's the next checklist question. Am I living a life that is joyful through suffering? And some of you already just write red. I, I, there, there, there have been seasons in my life that you just put a big old R on that thing, big old red light, that I can be joyful through suffering. Are you kidding me? Let's look at Paul. On the next Sabbath, where we're catching up to God is moving in the churches, and in that next week, on the next Sabbath day, uh, almost the whole city gathered to hear the word of the Lord. It is mass revival going on. Can I tell you something? Whenever there's big victory, watch out. Enemy wants to come in like a flood. Whenever there's good things happening around you by God, just careful, you're on the enemy's radar. Now, when the Jews saw the crowd, they were filled with jealousy. So they began to contradict what Paul was saying. They heaped abuse on him. They, they, they did this whole crazy thing on Facebook and they sponsored all this misinformation. It was nuts. They stirred up persecution. They went on CNN. They went on Fox. They went on every news channel talking about this guy. I just don't know about his political. I mean, I'm sure he's a good person, but I got issues with him and everybody needs to be wary of this guy. And they persecuted against Paul and Barnabas and expelled them from their region, not just from the city, from like, you know, the region. So Paul and Barnabas shook the dust off their feet as a warning to them, and they left Lystra and they went to Iconium. Now, they were so persecuted. So their reputation was dog water. Their rep, that people were contradicting them. People were lying about them. So they shook the dust off their feet and they went to Iconium and look what the next line says. Look, look, look what the next line says. And the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. I mean, can you, can you hear it's like, oh man, we just got kicked out of the region. What? God must be up to something big, Barney. He's like, I know, P-Money, let's go. Let's go. They were filled with the joy, the buoyancy, no matter what circumstances come my way. They were filled with a buoyancy to be able to float above what everything else was trying to drown them in. But you, you go to another part of the story and you find that in Acts 16, a crowd had joined in attacking against Paul and Silas, another one of, of uh, Paul's uh, companions and one of his uh, protégés. Uh, the crowd joined in uh, against Paul and Silas and the magistrates ordered them to be stripped and beaten with rods. How many of you are beginning to see the yellow light turn up on joy and suffering when you're stripped naked in front of everybody and beaten with rods? After they had been severely flogged, they were then thrown into prison and the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. 
Now, when he received these orders, he put them in the inner cell, he fastened their feet in the stocks. So joy through suffering, not only does the crowd go against him, they strip them naked, they beat him, they, the leaders order them to prison, and it's not just like, it's not a, a, a you know, minimum security, it is the solitary confinement, it's within the depths, it is the death row style where they are now chained up, locked up, and the Bible says that they, they get their feet, click, click, into the stocks. There's Paul in prison for sharing the news of Jesus. And next to him is Silas. Paul says to Silas, well, you thinking what I'm thinking? And Silas is like, Taco Bell? Is that one? No, no, I was thinking something a little bit more serious than that, Silas. Paul says, no, 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 no. You remember that old song? What are the words of that? I surrender all. I surrender all. All to thee, my blessed Savior. I surrender. In that moment, check it out. About midnight, go back, back. Paul and Silas were praying and singing and the other prisoners were listening to them. Do not underestimate the power of just walking into a Sunday morning service and just worshiping with us because there are people listening. There are people around that haven't made a decision of faith and they're gonna see, is this, just a, is this just a thing where we just kind of stick our hands in our pockets again and just kind of go on with life and we just do this thing called church service? Or does it mean something to us? Is it, that, is it that we ought to enter his gates with thanksgiving and enter his courts with praise? And about that midnight, Paul and Silas, they were praying and the prisoner, other prisoners that were in their stock started listening. And, and suddenly there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. I know some of you at Dive and Duncan are praying this scripture right now. And once all the prison doors flew open and everyone's chains came loose. But not everybody started running for the hills. The jailer woke up, and when he saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself because he thought the prisoners had escaped. Paul shouted, Ah, uh, no, 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 no. Don't harm yourself. We're here. We're here. The jailer called for lights, rushed in, and fell trembling before Paul and Silas. And that jailer would get saved that night. That jailer would wash, would, would provide a place for Paul and Silas to wash up. Um, he, he would provide it. As a matter of fact, look, the jailer, this was so important because if it was just Paul and Silas escaping, then they would be fugitives. But instead, the jailer brought them out. The jailer brought them out and said, sirs, what must I do to be saved? Sure enough, he would get saved. His whole family would get saved. His whole family would be baptized. Do not despise your moments where things are locked up. Don't, don't despise those moments where you feel like you're in, in prison. Could it be 
could it be that you trusting God in that moment could not only provide a place for you to worship him and trust him and honor him, but others will see how you respond. Others that may be ready to fall on a sword. Others that are ready to just give it up. Others that are just ready to just forget it. And yet you and your trust in the Lord can make a massive difference. Number three, am I living a life that loves through adversity? It could have been that Paul and Silas, when the, when the chains fell off, that they ran, yee-haw, let's go to the hills of freedom. But instead, even in their adversity, they loved enough to put themselves at risk to speak truth to a jailer. This is the guy that writes this letter to us. Number four, am I living a life worth following? I want you to investigate that. Like, if people really follow you closely, is it a life worth following? I, I, would, I would venture to say that for many of us, there are some things that people could follow. But if I'm being honest with myself, if my wife were being honest with you, she would be very quickly to say, there's some things you probably don't want to follow Jeremy in. And I would say, amen, sister, preach. Because God's still working on me. Um, I'm still... Um, rigid. I, I, I'm still um, bullish when it comes to allowing the Holy Spirit to soften some areas in my heart and in my life. You, you, you know, you, you struggle with sin. I don't inwardly burn. You, 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 you're tired. You don't think I get tired? Pastor doesn't mean perfect. Pastor just means a really human who happens to be a shepherd over some people. The apostle Paul says, follow me, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. Your life will always be worth following if the person you're following is Jesus. So I wanna, I wanna wrap it up with this question. Like, have anybody ever, have you ever heard someone ask this question on, a, on an interview? Like, what's your secret to success? Like, what, what was like the one or two tricks? What, what's the life hack? What, what was it? What's a famous quote? Or what's your principle? What's your morning routine? Because I got to know, like, like, what was it that was the secret to Paul's success in all this? What was it? I can tell you. Here's what it, write it down. It was his travel companion. It was his travel companion. But when I'm talking about travel companion, I'm not talking about John Mark, I'm not talking about Timothy, I'm not talking about Barnabas, and I'm not talking about Silas. I'm talking about the travel companion who has been promised and given to each and every one of us on this journey from where we've been, on that traveling to where we're going, and to who we're becoming. Every single one of us, not only at salvation does God breathe the spirit of Jesus in us, but then we are guided by the Spirit. The Holy Spirit wants to baptize you in him. It, listen, it's one thing to, to have God who is, is for us and Jesus who is Emmanuel, God with us. But then the Holy Spirit in us. But you know what's even greater than that? You know what's even greater than the Holy Spirit in us? 
the Holy Spirit guiding us. Not just being in us, but actually being the travel companion that takes the first step. I don't got time to go through them all, but let me just give you a handful. The Holy Spirit guides and speaks and acts and leads and calls and forbids. And notice that it says he. It doesn't say it. The Holy Spirit isn't a philosophy. The Holy Spirit isn't a presence. The Holy Spirit isn't some vague electrical force field out in the cosmos that when you have a really good service and it's like, look what the Lord has done. And people run into it like it's a brick wall. It's like, whoo, I got it. It's way beyond some kind of experiential deal on a Sunday or at a revival. He is a person. That wants to be your companion and guides you. And not only will he do all these things, he'll grieve when, when you do wrong. Like a casket next to a widow. He knows and he teaches and he decides and he comforts and he encourages. Oh, this is the kind of companion we all need. This is the kind of friend that sticks closer than a brother. It's, it, reminds me, like, it, it reminds me of this. It reminds me of like the, the, the tandem bicycle, you know? I just want you to know, like, this don't do a thing. Like, that's just for you to feel good about yourself. But, but, you know, that, that's just you holding on for dear life. This guy, this guy drives, but you both can pedal. And, and can I tell you that when it comes to the Holy Spirit in some of our lives, even in my life, a time or 12, instead of me being on the rear seat and the Holy Spirit on the front and us in tandem together, many times my life has looked like this, where... The Holy Spirit saying, I'd really like to go this way. And I'm like, no, 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 no. I really got this down. Follow me. But that's the kind of closeness the Holy Spirit wants with us. A few years ago, my wife surprised me. I had just got off a perfectly good airplane. Went to Papacito's Mexican Cantina. And for my birthday, she surprised me. It was my birthday. She said, I've already got it organized. We're not going back home. We're going to drive to the outskirts of Houston. You're going skydiving today. She's like, the insurance, we've already made sure all the insurance is paid up. You're good to go. So she's like, <laughs> and so sure enough, for my birthday, she surprised me on the fly and went to this skydiving place. And I was partnered in tandem with a professional skydiver uh, who, um, here we are. I want you to know that's about the highest level of confidence in this whole story. It's like, yeah, let's go. Let's skydive. Me and my friend Sven. Sven's like, you love it. He's like, let's go. And so sure enough, um, we're tandem. I didn't skydive by myself. We are attached together in tandem. And the photographer took this picture, and here I am saying, it smiles good. We were climbing up to the 16, 14,000 feet, whatever it was. And, and I don't know what this guy's doing, if he's like checking to see if the plane is holding together or what he's doing. I'd rather him checking to make sure the parachute's going to work. About two minutes later, I'm excited. I'm excited. But about two minutes later, the photographer takes this picture, things getting real. Because the door of the airplane is now open about three feet in front of me. And I am sitting there. I don't know what kind of language I was, but I know it was a heavenly language. I am praying in tongues. Oh, dear heavenly, holy spirit. And from that moment to the moment where he pats me and says, it's time. We get up and we walk to the door. 
We get to the door and we're about ready. I go from excited to prayer to, oh dear Lord, have mercy. No. This is the, this is the, I mean, I literally like, okay, God, if this is it, next thing you know, I'm out. We're done. And before you knew it, before you knew it, it everything changed. And the exhilaration of the experience took me over. I just, I couldn't take it all in. I had felt something I never felt before. I could see in a way I could never see really before other than through the glass in the airplane. I, I, I felt something in the, and, and like it got to the point where I got so overwhelmed that my skydiver had to tap me and point because, because uh, we were getting to the place where I had to pull the string. Pulled the string and whew, there we were, floating down into the pasture. My kids saying, Daddy! And me going, like, I'll never do it again. It was a neat one moment. The Holy Spirit wants to guide, wants to tap you on the shoulder wants to help you get through some of your deepest fears, wants to invite you to take a risk and jump out in faith and follow, trust their wisdom. And when you do, I promise you, you're gonna see some things and you're gonna feel some things and you're gonna experience some stuff that you never experience unless you tether yourself Holy Spirit. That's what made Paul live and leave a legacy. And this book, this letter to the church at Rome, not even to the church, there weren't even churches yet. It was to the Christians in Rome. Write it down. Paul's letter to the Romans will show me how to live in tandem The greatest gift Jesus wants to give every one of us, you can live tethered, hand in hand, in tandem. So everybody, let's suit up. Let's jump in. Close your eyes and pray with me. I don't want you to learn a book. I want you to experience I want you to encounter Jesus in all this. With every head bowed and every eye closed, at all of our locations, Holy Spirit, will you meet us on our road? It may not be the Damascus road where we are hell bent to persecute and walk completely away from your will. It may be the narrow road, but we keep tripping up and we keep putting a wheel in the ditch. It may be that we've never We've never really even dedicated ourselves to any particular road. We're kind of running in circles. Father, in this moment and in the weeks to come, may we see you and find you. May we search for you as we unpack one of the greatest letters ever written. May we know it wasn't to a culture way back then alone. It is a culture and it's to us right now 
It is, we are all living in 2023 Rome. With the help of your Holy Spirit, Father, you're gonna guide us to become who we're going to become on this journey. We ask it in the name of Jesus, the strong son of God. Everybody said amen.